Hi, this is Lisa Smith. I'm the pastor and artistic director at Convergence, a creative community of faith in Alexandria, Virginia. And this is Beta Episode 2 of The Vergecast, a series of conversations about the intersection of art, faith, and the human experience. So today's episode is called Creative Courage, or Creative Crisis of Faith. I'm not sure yet. And uh, we have a special guest with us today in the studio, Charlene Smith, who's the founding artistic director of Brave Spirits Theater. And I'm going to properly introduce Charlene in a minute, but you can say hi. 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 Um, But before we get started with the conversation, I just want to tell everyone about this incredible series that we are doing here at Convergence on Sunday nights called Attending. And basically, it's a series of contemplative artistic experiences geared towards helping us attend to what's really important. Now, this is where we're going to segue into our conversation today about creative courage. So... First, to introduce Charlene Smith, who is the artistic director, the founding artistic director, producing director, right? All of the above, everything of Brave Spirits Theater. And you guys have been, you've been in the D.C. area. We started in 2011. Okay. And we've been here at Convergence since 2016. Oh, wow. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, That's crazy. Two years now. Yeah, so you guys are one of our our cherished arts partners. Yeah. It's it's kind of cool. I mean, it's really cool for me to have you guys here. My background in theater, but just to be able to have your work in this space is really awesome and you have your work in Virginia, so I'm very excited. But you've been you've been here since around 2006. You said something like that or that's like when that's when Brave Spirit started. Well, we, I think actually we came to Convergence in 2015, now I think early. about it. It's the years start to run together. <laughs> but the company started performing in 2011. Okay. Oh, I've personally been in the D.C. area since 2006. Okay. Yeah. So uh, how did Brave Spirits... First of all, what is, where did the title come from? Well, um, so when Victoria Reinsel and I decided we were going to start this theater company. Um, we were talking a lot about what we wanted it to be about and trying to figure out what to call the company. And we mm-hmm. each kind of pulled open our complete works of Shakespeare. And we literally just started flipping through text and like seeing what caught our eyes. And there's a passage in The Tempest mm-hmm. um, where Caliban says, these be brave spirits indeed. And we just saw that phrase, brave spirits, uh, and it just clicked. It just felt really right. And um, it's turned out to be a really good idea because I think it's really helped guide the vision of the Mm -hmm. company and sort of been something to live up to and to motivate us. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering, like, does it, did that come out of sort of an intuitive feeling of what you wanted to do with? with the company because it seems to fit you guys yes. so well like brave is a really great word to describe brave spirits theater yes and and uh, I'm always very happy when when people express that because other people have said that and so I think it yeah. was just intuition yeah you know we saw the words and it just felt right from day one and um but in ways like we didn't fully realize until 
later, mm-hmm. you know. Because mm-hmm. you do, I mean, you take on the works of Shakespeare mm-hmm. and his contemporaries, but it's not just straight performing of a play. I mean, you have something to say. You're teasing out other elements that maybe other people aren't paying as much attention to. Right. We have a, we try, we have a clear viewpoint on these plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think the other reason we landed on that, that title is that, um, we were deciding to start a Shakespeare company in a, in a theatrical landscape that was very rich mm-hmm. and also had several other Shakespeare's com- Shakespeare companies right. in it already. Um, and this was also a year, I remember specifically the month before Victoria and I decided we were going to start Brave Spirits, Rocco Lanson, who was the then um, head of the NEA, the National Endowment of the Arts, gave a speech in which he told people essentially to stop starting theater companies because there wasn't <laughs> enough demand for further supply. Uh-huh. And so in the wake of that and the you know the theater industry at large talking about is there room for the number of companies we have and DC talking about it because DC has seen a huge growth mm-hmm. in the arts in the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, we went ahead and started a company <laughs> <laughs> against all yeah. good advice. Um <laughs> And so we prefer the word brave to foolhardy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's that really that distinction can be in the eye of the beholder. Oh, definitely. I think so. And I think that's that's part of what I want to kind of get at in our conversation is how do you keep brave your perspective on the whole thing as opposed to foolhardy? Do you know what I mean? Like, um, going into you, you clearly had the experience where you're going into something where you have a real strong sense of what needs to be explored, what you want to see happen, what questions you're asking. Mm -hmm. And maybe in, like you said, a landscape where people are like, "Uh, I don't know, do we really need that? Or I'm not sure. I'm, you know, they don't necessarily get it or have, you have this burning passion for something that is there a market for that? Is there, and then doing it anyway. And you've, I mean, you've seen, I, I would say incredible success in, in doing that, um, which is, which is really cool. But did you ever in those beginning times have any like questions like, are we do, is this really what we should be doing? Or are you just like, let's just do it? No, I've never had questions like that. And I think, um, I think maybe that's what separates the idea of, of brave from foolhardy is, is it's a, the risks we take, I believe are worth taking. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, um, what makes it not foolish is, is I think the, the wonderful artists that we get in the room. And mm-hmm. so we approach, we approach these plays with a lot of knowledge, a lot of passion, a lot of talent. And so even though our programming is often very ambitious and we're trying to do, uh, things that other people haven't done, it's not unreasonable because we have the people who are capable of pulling it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of the, you know, good work begets good work. You know, you do yes. good work, you attract more talent that then attracts more audiences and it's a continuous cycle yeah. of and commitment. We definitely have a few audience members who, who were there at that very first production and we have a few artists that have been working with us mm-hmm. since 
that very first year. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very excited by that. Yeah. I would think that that would also kind of bolster that sense of confidence as well, to have a team yeah. of people, both audience members and, and company members or board members or participants who are also right. committed to and, and um, excited by the vision. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that I think that's what also helps the sort of the courage side of it is knowing that, you know, even if something were to not work out mm-hmm. or or the company at some point could no longer continue. I'd rather know that all along we were doing what we believed in. Yeah. And making the kind of art we wanted to see rather than mm-hmm. compromising in order for a little more longevity mm-hmm. and then but making less interesting art. Yeah. See, I think that that is such a key key thing that you're you're hitting on like having a really clear idea of what it is you said making the art that you want to see and not compromising in order to have potentially greater longevity or or whatever those How do you how do you maintain that? How do you maintain that like that, I feel like takes laser focus on your your mission and what those goals really are. I mean, is that just something that you just have inherently, or do you surround yourself with people who, or do you like have your mission statement in front of you all the time? You know, how do <laughs> how do you resist those those challenges when they come? Um, I think I think having a very well defined mission statement is a, a key component to it, um, and along the way, you know, several people have really aided me in crafting that statement and asking me questions about what it meant so that I had to be really Mm. deliberate about what it was I wanted it to say about the art we were creating. And then also making sure that it um, reflected that art that we were creating. Um, And so, I mean, I do enjoy reading our mission statement because I'm very proud of it, but I don't <laughs> find that I need to have it sort of in front of me to remind me of what I'm doing because because I f- feel like it says what I need it to say. Yeah. It, it expresses um, what it is I try and do every day in the rehearsal room mm-hmm. and what drives me. Um, and, and, and so people know um, Brave Spirit's basic mission statement is that we um, produce... Um, dark, intimate, visceral productions of Shakespeare and his contemporaries with a focus on feminist viewpoints and female artists. Right. Right. And I was reading, um, you were, it was in a blog post related to female directors working on plays with with kind of misogynistic yes. um, overtones, undertones, you know, content. And, and you were saying the overarching takeaway that you had from this conference or, or the speech that you had heard was that it matters who's in the room and it it matters who has a say in how these stories are interpreted. And I think that that, like, that to me feels like a very important piece of this too, that a big part, it seems, of how success is defined for Brave Spirits is in how you go about doing it. Who is involved in that process? What is the kind of story that's being told as opposed to just the end product or being a theater company? There's a lot more going on. Yes. Uh, yes. I, one of the the sort of things that I return to over and over again in my life is the belief that the stories we tell matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it matters who's in these stories. 
it matters what the stories are. Um, it matters who gets to tell them. Yeah. Um, and it matters for all the people who live in the world to have access to stories that reflect their life. Yeah. Um, and that can be very difficult working in the Shakespeare industry um, because the fact is, and I think I started this blog out blog post talking about this, that um, I, I love Shakespeare and I've, but I spent a lot of time thinking about the fact that I've dedicated my career um, to a period of d- drama written by white men that upholds <laughs> uh, systems of power that benefit white men. Right. You know, um, <laughs> And so I have to, you know, think about what that means and um, think about how we make these plays about mm-hmm. about other things. Because they, they have the ability to be about so much, which is why they're right. brilliant plays. Right. Um, because they contain all of us and they allow, they allow artists to connect with them and, and to speak through them. Mm-hmm. Um, so and we, it, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and it just, it matters with Shakespeare because of his status, you know, in the world as sort of the acknowledged greatest dramatist that ever lived. And the fact that he's, you know, he's taught in school systems. He's, he is a purveyor of culture, right? And so it matters that when we talk about Shakespeare, we are not just talking about the art that white men create. Mm -hmm. There has to be room for other people Mm -hmm. in Shakespeare, um, or or he doesn't deserve to continue mm-hmm. to be produced. Yeah, but it doesn't, I mean, from what you said, too, it doesn't feel like you're not trying to, you're not forcing something on top of Shakespeare. This feels like a very natural fit for you. So, I mean, is this like, you know, were you just so already educated and steeped in Shakespeare and then you have this other piece of you that's like well I I really want to explore this stuff let's do this together with Shakespeare or was it like this really makes sense as a as a marriage and a partnership as a you know between this idea of storytelling Mm -hmm. and lots of voices within that story and Shakespeare is a vehicle to do that what how did how did that Yes, yeah, so I, I have I've spent. <laughs> yes. uh, I have I have a lot of education in Shakespeare, and I've spent a lot of time studying him. And I think, I think that's important to me that I come at at these plays with a a pretty intense understanding of how they were created mm-hmm. and the, the world they came out of. But then at the same time, I feel as an artist living today that that's not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just about understanding and loving Shakespeare. I also have to be. Um, a human who is responding to the world around me today. And right. these two things together is sort of what makes the art I'm interested in. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, something that I've been thinking a lot about, you, you talked about the stories we tell, that I've been thinking a lot about that idea of the stories we tell are the stories we live. Yes. And, and so the, what are the stories? And the problem that are, is that so much of our arts and entertainment does not match our world yeah. and it tells false stories about our world and in turn is starting to shape yes that world in a way that is not fit for humans to yes. live in in my opinion <laughs> in a lot of ways yes absolutely which is one of the reasons why I think the work that you're doing is so vital I mean that's when I say that I'm so excited that your work is in this space that's why because I I really strongly believe that and I lament a lot of of what's out there, knowing the power of art 
to speak, and in particular theater. So to have your work, which is shaping these old stories in new ways or bringing new light to, to new stories or involving more people in that conversation is expanding the, the, the kind of the vision for our lives, for our futures yeah. um, in a very immediate way, which is really cool. Well, and it feels great being here, um, not only just that having a home is, is a wonderful mm. boon to any theater company, but there does seem to be a natural alignment. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I always love what you say about like that intersection of art, faith and the mm-hmm. human experience. Um, because I've, you know, these plays of Shakespeare and his contemporaries uh, can have elements that are difficult to grapple with and they can often be very dark, mm-hmm. um, particularly when you get to the other playwrights of the era. You know, Shakespeare's pretty well known for a lot of his comedies. Um, but then there's a whole bunch of revenge tragedies mm-hmm. going on um, <laughs> where people are doing terrible things to each other. You know, and I've I've had colleagues ask me why I'm so drawn to these plays that have all this, this blood and this uh-huh. violence um, and this cruelty. Um, and I guess it's it's because I'm sort of interested in that full question of what it means to be human mm-hmm. and and the fact that we are capable of creating great beauty while at the same time performing great acts of cruelty. Yeah. I'm really interested in that sort of dual nature in all yeah. human beings. And I feel like we have to confront it and ask questions about it yeah. in order to move forward. Yeah. And theater is such a great vehicle for that, to be able to confront and come yeah. in, uh, stand in front of the mirror of something that's maybe uncomfortable right. and be able to ask questions about it or have questions posed about it that maybe, you know, it's, it's safer not to. So that's, I think one of the most beautiful things about the theater, if you're willing to kind of go there. And that, so, okay, let me shift tracks just just a bit. This is like making it about me now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to use this for me. Um, Yeah, I was thinking about, okay, so uh, my background is in theater, so Mm -hmm. that's why I I love geeking out with you, so thank you for that. (laughs) Um, But I also, obviously, my, my, my gig now is as a pastor, which is its own weird journey. But, you know, one of the hardest conversations I have with people is when they come to me and they want to talk about, you know, having a like a crisis of faith and defining faith as sort of belief or trust or hope in something that isn't necessarily, um, you know, viscerally tangible or present in this moment, or you can't necessarily see it, but something that's been a very um, foundational element in, mm-hmm. in, in one's life. And that's a tough conversation to have when that feels shaken in some way. Um, and, and that's a common thing in a spiritual world, a crisis of faith. Everybody's heard that, that term. And that hasn't necessarily been my journey from a spiritual perspective, but from a creative perspective... That's different. Sure. And I've, I've started thinking about that recently, I think probably because of where I am at like almost 12 years into my creative work here at Convergence. Some things have hit lately. Like, you know, there's the beginning part when you're starting something and maybe you're coming up in something nobody's ever done before or it's not as obvious and you have this passion and enthusiasm and excitement. 
And I think most artists experience the, gosh, I don't know, can I do this? You know, there's that exciting but doubting, you know, doubtful time. But then you move, you move past it. But then at different points along the way, there can be moments where it's like really hard, you know. I've definitely had moments where I'm like, I think I just don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) But then even in those times, I for some reason picked back up and moved on again. But then there's this different thing. I think of a crisis of like when you reach a certain point, you know you can because you have. You've got um, you've got resources to be able to do what you want to do. But um, I don't know, like uh, wondering, is it, um, not is it worth it, but is it having the impact mm. that I want it to have? Or what are, you know, what's the long-term part of this? Am I willing to continue to sacrifice what I'm sacrificing for what for what this is? And I think especially creatively, that can be hard because like with a theater performance, it's there and then it's gone. You know, and it's like what happened with that audience is the impact. Right. And and you can't get back to it. And you can't get back to it. And, you know, you're going to create, do something new. And, you know, how do you keep yourself wanting to come back to say, okay, I still have something new to say. I, I, how do you keep having that faith that, do you know what I'm saying? Yes. I I think there are a lot of factors that go into this question. Um, first of all, that, you know, we live in a country d- that does not support artistic creation the way it, it should. Mm-hmm. Um, and the result of that is um, burnout is very real among artists. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely know people who've left the profession. Yeah. Because, like you said, it takes sacrifice. Um, and, and you continue to have to ask, you know, what am I willing to sacrifice to do this? Mm-hmm. But if I gave up being an artist, you know, there are other things I would get instead. Um, because our, our country makes it very difficult and does not support art economically mm-hmm. um, the way it should. Mm-hmm. Um, it also means that that being able to work as an artist is in itself a form of privilege. Like there mm-hmm. are there are people you know, whose social economic situations would not allow them to pursue art the way that I am mm-hmm. able to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about the fact that I'm very lucky to be in a situation where, where, you know, obviously I keep very careful control of my budget, but I'm still like financially able to do what it takes to run a theater company. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in that, I mean, yeah. just to kind of give you a little credit too. I mean, it's not like this is not your your full-time job to no. be the artistic director of of Brave Spirits. I mean, you are I would love for you're it working to be. your ass off <laughs> to make sure that you can yes. you know, and and that's that is true of most theater professionals certainly. Yeah. Um I mean, you are professional in every sense of the word. You are very successful and you still have to work other other jobs to be able to make you know financial for so that I mean that that's a huge sacrifice you know you do a lot to to make sure that this work continues to be birthed that that's a big thing 
right? Yeah. Well, and I think, <laughs> I think, um, I think, um, you know, there's not a sort of set answer to the questions you're asking, but often it's a, it's kind of a lifelong journey that mm-hmm. you have to keep finding in the moment, mm-hmm. like what works for you mm-hmm. and also be willing to, um, say yes when your needs change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that can also be very difficult, um, when people reach a, a position where they want to let go of one thing or another, but they hold on because they feel like they have to, and you don't listen right. to that voice that tells you what you need now is something else. Um, mm. And I think that's also can become difficult because of the way m- our country like poo-poos artistic mm. careers mm-hmm. is that then when your dreams change, you feel a need to hold on to it because people told you you weren't going to be able to accomplish it anyway, you know, which is really unfair. Like, yeah. What does that even mean? Right. You know, right. If you worked in the arts for 10 years and then you go and do something else, does that really mean you failed at yeah. something? Cause you did it for 10 years. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. and then you decide you wanted other things or that you're, you shifted your priorities. Um, and I think it's unfortunate that we, you know, assume that that, is a failure. Yeah. Yeah. It's either success or failure as opposed to contributing a gift. Right. Exactly. And I think that that comes up a lot with theater companies is there's this sort of expectation that, um, if a theater company is formed, its goal must be to become a permanent institution to go on forever and ever. And if it stops at any point that equals failure. Right. But, a theater company ceasing to be does not erase exactly what the work it created, yeah. and the the and I think it's hard because theater is so ephemeral. Is that that it just seems like nothing was there, but yeah. things were there. Yeah, 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 in very, very probably more immediate and more real ways right. than a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if I have easy answers. I know that uh, particularly. I want the easy answers. <laughs> I mean, I think something we've talked about before is like particularly like as I've gotten older, I have to more and more sort of ask myself what is possible mm-hmm. for me to do in a healthy way. Right. You know, what can I achieve while remembering that I can't keep the hours I kept when I was 22 right. and that. I will be better in the long run if I respect that mm-hmm. and and remember that my health matters too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask if you've kind of hit any of those bumps along the way where, you know, you just sort of felt like, you know, again, that like creative, having faith. I don't know whether you've had experiences where, people that you've invested in or, you know, situations that you've given a lot to have maybe not turned out the way that you had hoped and that becomes a setback. There's this constant getting up again. Um, and I'm not asking you to get details of <laughs> no, that. Not, I don't, we don't need to get into that. Names. <laughs> but, um, or even, you know, you have a creative vision for something and sometimes it's more than you expected it to be. And sometimes mm. it's not what you had hoped it to be. Um, but like, how do you keep, I mean, you've got the histories coming up, yeah. which is so exciting. And maybe that's just like, so, but what are you doing to sort of gear yourself up to, um, you know, to kind of stoke that, fan that flame? Well, and to tell us about think, the project yeah, to begin with. So, um, 
Brave Spirits Theater is going to uh, perform Shakespeare's eight history plays that cover um, the English history that is sort of known as the Wars of the Roses. Um, he wrote eight plays uh, covering those events in English history, and we are going to be staging them all and then putting them together in repertory. So we're going to have um, a single ensemble cast that is in these eight plays, and when the project um, wraps up, in mostly we'll be performing through the year 2020, and then it'll conclude in early 2021, and at that point you'll be able to come to Convergence and see the eight plays in order. And you come to a marathon weekend and see eight of them in four days. <laughs> <laughs> and no no professional American company has wow. done this before in full productions and full repertory of all eight plays. Yeah. Um, what keeps me going about that is that this is this is something I've been wanting to do for a re- really long time yeah. and building towards. Um, I'm very passionate about the history plays. Um, I think they're exciting. I think that they are moving. Mm-hmm. I think that they ask us questions about family and power mm-hmm. and loyalty mm-hmm. and betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very excited to be performing them with a brave spirits point of view in in which we're Mm -hmm. going to attempt to sort of let live in these English history plays uh, ideas about American society Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. who gets power and who is denied power in American history. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's very powerful that we get to do this just across the river Mm -hmm. from our nation's capital. Yeah. and I'm sure there are female actors all over the UC area who are just so happy right now. Oh, we've seen some amazing people. We're still in our um, casting process, um, but I've been really excited by some of what the things I've been seeing in the audition room cool. um, and the talent. And yeah. so I'm very looking forward to to getting to our final audition day and then start making offers. Yeah. Um, um, because... We've got some great possibilities. Yeah. I'm sure that's a big part of it, too, is assembling the team, yeah. you know, having people that you can share that that faith with, you yes. know, that you can well, have faith in. And when you ask what makes it worth it, it's it's those moments where you're finally in a room with other artists. Mm-hmm. Um, producing, being an artistic director, even being a director can be a very lonely road. Yeah. Um, I, I joke to people, though it's not really a joke, that really my primary job as an artistic director is to send emails. <laughs> um, that's probably what I spend more of my time right. is on email than anything else. But when I'm in a room mm-hmm. with designers and with actors, that's when it—that's when the company feels most real to me. Yeah, um, and that's yeah, that's where I'm always happiest to be, and that's where I feel excited yeah. to be. Yeah. That the process of art making is yeah. is electrifying. Yeah. Uh, so, talking about courage again, then, I mean, what do you think is courageous? I, th- I think art making is a courageous process for a variety of reasons, depending on your discipline. But, what I mean, would you agree with that? Yes. Well, you have to be very comfortable living in the gray, mm. as as I know some people go because you you don't know 
what's going to come out of it, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. you have to be willing to sort of step in on day one and say something is going to come out of this and we're going to yeah. discover it together. Yeah. You know, and that's the as faith a theater thing. artist. Yeah, yeah. Is that there is something here. Because even if you've seen a play before mm-hmm. and you've read it and you know the people in the room, you still don't know what it's going to be until it is, you know, and there's a process of, of getting there and developing that. But I mean, that's, that's asking a lot to bring together a group of people to embody, to materialize a vision for something that none of you know, right. Until it's, until you're in it and you know, kind of when you're in it. And there's this, this old school notion of a director, which is you know, starting to fade more and more now, but this old school notion of the director is the person that has all the answers. Right. And that's not really true, nor is it ideal, Mm -hmm. um, because I think what's much more interesting and then perhaps even is also scarier because you don't have the answers is like being willing to not have the answers and knowing that you have a team of people that you get to help find the answers Mm -hmm. with. Yeah. And then once the audience is a part of that as well, that oh, absolutely. becomes something else. Absolutely, because then you know what you're trying to say, mm-hmm. but you really don't know what's working until you get to hear an audience member reflect back to you what they saw. Yeah. And those yeah. are really profound moments. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always find it interesting the way that an audience changes can change a, per- a performance, even in just the energy that's in the room. Yes. How much you're actively participating are there are there have there been challenges to have has there ever been anything that you would be willing to talk about that's been kind of a challenge to that that courage or that faith for you that you've been able to I mean obviously you've been able to overcome it um but have you ever had those moments Yes. I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to decide like what's useful to talk about specifically. I mean, it's, it's always hard because there's always the perennial question about money. Mm-hmm. It's like, are we going to have the money to do mm-hmm. this? And um, I think it's also difficult because growing a company um, and, and becoming a, you know, viable theater company is a slow process and I'm impatient, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I've sometimes I have to remind myself of the steps we've already taken on the path when mm-hmm. I get frustrated by not being further along the path. Right. I have to look at like this. We are taking steps, which means we are going down this path we need to go down. Right. Um, it can be difficult because art, I think art making is very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then when things don't work out on a, you know, like person to person situation I think that can often take an emotional toll right um and that's how like nobody nobody's ever going to be able to work with every person they ever meet Mm -hmm. and so situations like that are going to come up misunderstandings are going to come up miscommunications um and you kind of have to take each one and and attempt to learn from it Mm -hmm. and but it can be very difficult because going back to what you're saying about you know sacrificing so much when you put so much into something yeah I think it can make it really hard to have perspective and distance from that thing um and that's something I try Mm -hmm. to learn Mm -hmm. every time there's a difficult situation that has to be solved yeah I think that's a really good insight because you kind of 
uh, we're talking about that looking back when you're impatient and then also dealing with these interpersonal situations that can be very, very personal. I'm sure that's true of probably a lot of those obstacles that having the ability to step back and have perspective is probably a big, a big key of that maintaining creative faith or creative courage is having people or situations or just the ability to kind of not be so close to it all the time. And knowing and understand, and sometimes there are problems that are, that are just problems, but then sometimes there are things that have come up that are so easy to fix. And knowing that the very fact that they were able to come up is a good sign Mm. and that you can fix them because, Mm -hmm. you know, our mission statement is not just about the way we interpret the art we also very much want it to be about the way we run the company and the way right. um, the way we run a rehearsal process in which everyone feels like they are a valued part of it and they have voice and agency right. and the ability um, to bring up concerns, to make suggestions, to have ideas, mm-hmm. right? And, and that we can build a very healthy working environment together. Right. Um, because there's certainly, there are a lot of, really upsetting examples and history of, of um, theater and entertainment with very unhealthy working mm. environments. Mm-hmm. But when it works, it works really well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I just, I want to say thank you so much for, for sitting down and talking with me about your artistic process and all of yeah. this. I mean, you've given me a lot to think about. This is kind of, something I'm considering at this point like and I and and I think that thing about about stepping back but also having people around you you know kind of valuing the things and the the, what starts that fire initially and and making that really clear is all is all really helpful things to kind of keep forefront and and I'm so excited for you for everything that's coming up in the future. And right well, now, the Changeling and the Duchess of Amalfi. Yes. So right now we're we're in our fall repertory. Um, we've been since 2014. Part of our seasons every year has been a two show rep, deliberately to sort of practice what it's like to work in repertory ah, to get ready for the history in a bigger way. Um, and it's also been really fun pairing shows from this era. So mm. right now we're doing the Duchess of Amalfi by John Webster and the Changeling by. Thomas Middleton and 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 Rowley, um, and they're both Jacobean dark tragedies, um, and th- there's some they're very difficult material content wise, and there's also a lot of wacky things about them. Um, uh, so they're running now through November 18th. They both have these really wonderful, um, fascinating female leads. Mm-hmm. Uh, these female characters that. Um, attempt to take control of their own lives and their and their own uh choices um and you know mm-hmm. some bad things happen <laughs> <laughs> um but then hopefully the the plays in these productions ask us to sort of like look at those mm-hmm. causes and what's behind them yeah you know? i think i mean it's fascinating the way that something so so old so yeah. uh, can can be so relevant or a- help us to ask questions that are really relevant for where we are yeah as well well, thank you You're very welcome. much for this conversation. Yeah. And um, yeah, I can't wait to, we're planning to come see the shows later this oh, week. Wonderful. So <laughs> very excited. Yeah. So you can find um, Brave Spirits at, what's the, the I want to make sure I get the uh, the uh, website correct. Oh, Brave Spirits Theater, uh, dot com and theater is spelled 
with an R-E, R-E. on the end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very important. Yes. Yes. I, I yep. And uh, we're at ourconvergence.org. So, um, yeah, this is the, the, the wrap up for our second beta verge cast. Thank you very much, Charlene, for being our, our interview guinea pig. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) And, uh, we wish you just incredible success and continued, um, creative courage and exploration with brave spirits. So thanks.